2: Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for December 30th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link on the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com website. You click the red boxes that sponsor the show, and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we'd like to thank our previous donors. I am one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spirit, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Case Low in Case, 2020, well, we're doing this with less than 48 hours, actually less than 36 hours, Eastern Standard Time, left in 2020. A whole lot of stuff has gone on, and uh, just off the top, how are you doing, bud?
1: I'm all right. It, it's uh, I guess in a good way, it's it's good to think that 2020 is almost over. Next week, for those wondering, we will be doing our year-end awards which there's there's plenty of them to hand out this year. It's a phenomenal year for Dragon Gate. This week we will be reviewing the Kobe Sambo Hall show that just happened a few days ago. We're recording this on the thirtieth. And unfortunately we're gonna start off with the the awful news of of Brody Lee passing away and specifically on this show because You know, I'm sure Dave will cover it in The Observer. I'm sure the Voice of Wrestling flagship crew will cover it at length. There's going to be a million different outlets that will cover Brody Lee's career and do him justice. We have the, I I don't want to say it's a unique advantage, but we do have the position where Brody Lee was a member of the Dragon system, and we can talk about his career from that perspective. So that is what we are going to do for the first part of this episode.
2: Yeah, so for people who haven't been tuning in to the uh, Rewind and Rewatch system or Rewind and Rewatch series uh, Brody was a part of the Dragon system pretty much from 2010 through his time being signed by WWE did both Dragon Gate USA and was in Dragon Gate proper in Japan and was a very unique figure I I think just uh, first and foremost in Dragon Gate Japan just because of how different he was in comparison to nearly anyone else who they brought over to Japan. I mean, there is the mold that is joked about, like that Chuck Taylor has made cracks about that Shima likes guys who have abs and does backflips, and Brody was something completely different.
1: Yeah, I I would say there's probably a large portion of fans, even fans in the know, fans that might even be aware of this show, that don't know that Brody Lee did, two, really technically three tours of Drangate in Japan because you think about who that system made famous. It's Matt Seidel, it's Pac, it's Ricochet, it's Rich Swan, it's AR Fox, it's UHA Nation. It's not exactly guys that look or wrestle like Brody Lee, but Brody was a guy that came into Drangate USA he debuted on the Canada shows in 2010 and ran wild there and, and ended up becoming, and I'll get into the stats in a little bit, one of the most feared and protected stars of Gate USA through him signing with the WWE in early 2012. And at the end of 2010 and through most of 2011, he was a prominent player in Japan. I mean, a pushed commodity in the world of Dragon Gate and you just wouldn't ever think of that looking at the guy but he was incredible and and one of the things that stunned me and and you know we're recording this on Wednesday Brody's Brody passed away on Saturday at least that's when the announcement was made and the outpouring of support is still constant I still feel like my entire Twitter feed is you know, or I guess 99% of it is guys talking about these amazing Brody stories, how good of a guy he was, how good of a father he was, how good of a husband he was. He was just, he was the best. And he seemed like this guy that literally everyone loved. And that extends to the Dragon Gate roster in Japan, which, you know, I'm not hopefully making too much out of some tweets, but I was just blown away at, Seemingly every member of the roster from Masaki Mochizuki to Naruki Doi to Problem Dragon to I, I saw Kotoka had a tweet. I believe Naoki Tanazaki did as well. Like all mm-hmm. of these guys tweeting about Brody and his impact in Japan. Kotoka said that Brody Lee had the hardest chops of anybody he's ever experienced. And and think about the the lineage of guys that kick Kotoka's ass from Shingo to Mochizuki to Fuji and beyond Brody Lee supposedly had the hardest chop Kotoka's ever had. And I was really taken aback by just the outpouring of support from the Gate universe. It's, it's really hard to believe that this is a guy who only did two tours. And specifically, if you want to know about his time in Japan, it's a pretty simple timeline. He debuts in Gate USA in May of 2010. And then in December of 2010 for the final gate tour, he comes into Japan as the surprise member of Warriors International on December twenty-first in Corken Hall. He defeats KZ in thirty-eight seconds. Just runs through him. He is Shima's new big man. He is to be feared, and it's it's awesome. And then Brody Lee goes home for Christmas, and he comes back. He's supposed to come back on January fourteenth, two thousand eleven, at Osaka Bodymaker Coliseum number two which is a historic Dragon Gate show, because that is the show where the Blood Warriors debut, and it's Shima, Ricochet, Naruki, Doi, all of these heels, this super unit of heels is formed. Brody Lee was supposed to be in that angle, but because of bad weather had not made it to Japan at that point, so he ended up getting in Japan two days later, and as a member of Blood Warriors, that first tour It's notable because... uh, That first tour of January 2011, it's notable because he teams with Gamma in a match against Masaki Mochizuki and Super Shisa in Kyoto KVS Hall. And if you know the Dragon Gate booking, you would think, well, they're going to put Brody over and he's going to pin Super Shisa. But instead, Brody, in what was like his fourth match in Dragon Gate Japan, pins Masaki Mochizuki, which is a huge deal. To this day, not a lot of guys pin Masaki Mochizuki, but Brody Lee did in a tag match... That led to a number one contenders match for the Dreamgate title in February of 2011 where Masaki Mochizuki beat Brody Lee. And it is crazy to think that that 2011 run that Mochizuki had, which in my opinion, I think Mike agrees with me, is the greatest Open the Dreamgate run of all time. It begins with Mochizuki defeating Brody Lee. That is how he gets his title match. And that is that is no joke. You know, they don't just hand out number one contendership matches to anybody. It's not like Rich Swan, who was a beloved member of the roster, ever came anywhere close to challenging for the open the Dreamgate title. Brody Lee on his first tour was in a singles match with Masaki Mochizuki. From there, Brody goes home. He goes back to Gate USA, where he wrestles Stalker Chikawa on WrestleMania weekend, which is as much fun as you would imagine. It seemed like Brody had the time of his life in the ring there. Mochizuki, I'm sorry, not Mochizuki, Brody Lee, in the spring of 2011, on the second anniversary show for Gate USA, goes to hit a big boot and pops his knee out. It's a It's an ugly injury. You can tell he's hurt as soon as it happens. And I believe... And I couldn't double source this, but I'm pretty sure I had read that Brody was supposed to be on the Kobe World Tour in the summer of 2011, but obviously couldn't because of the knee injury. So Brody takes that summer off, but comes back, drank at USA for the Midwest triple shot in September of 2011, works there, and then gets on a plane and goes to Japan, where his second big feud of the year is against Shingo. And Shima specifically cuts promos, hyping Brody Lee up as the real power guy in Drangate, that Shingo's nothing but a fraud, Brody Lee is tougher and stronger than him, and that leads to an October Cork and Hall singles match with Shingo and Brody Lee that is awesome, and it is crazy, and it is this wild brawl that you would not expect from Drangate, but they deliver the goods. And then Brody's final match in Japan is at Gate of Destiny 2011. He teams with uh, Yasushi Kanda and Metal Warrior, Against Stalker Chikawa, Don Fuji, and Yoshihiro Takyama. and those Takeyama photos have, photos have been floating around the the internet all week. It was it is awesome to see Brody in there against the Yoshihiro Takeyama. That's a very fun match. And then Brody finishes out his time in Dragon Gate USA at the end of 2011. Most notably, the Philadelphia show on I believe November 12th, 2011, Bushido Code of the Warrior the ECW Arena. It's him versus Pac in a match that has been passed around, luckily, to an aggressive extent over this past week. I think a lot of people had never seen that match before, and and people found a way to get it in front of their eyeballs, because that is a match that is unbelievable. It is, as Rob Naylor has told me, we talked about this on Twitter publicly one day, a match that helped get both of those guys WWE contracts, and if you watch it, it is very clear at that point, those are two of the best wrestlers in the world, and... I you know I don't I don't know what Mike's thoughts are, but I've I've always said this about Brody Lee. I said this about a week ago before he passed away in a, a Slack conversation I was in with somebody. If you simulate Brody Lee's career 99 times, uh, you know 99 more times, I think we saw the worst version of it this time around, which is not an insult to his career because he was incredible. He was great in WWE. He was great in AEW. He was great in Dragon Gate. He was great in CZW. He was great wherever he went. But you look at the talent that this guy had and it became really apparent on the Dragon USA rewind and rewatch series where Gabe sort of treated Brody like a special attraction like he was always a, a, a like a segment removed from the main event scene but what we figured out was that Brody was just as talented as anybody on the roster at that point and and you know, I, I certainly don't want to rebook his career right now, but it, it it does seem like he had more talent than the level that he was pushed at, especially in Dragon Gate USA, and that is a real bummer. And, and I'll finish on this just because we're talking about Dragon Gate USA. I think the defining moment of Brody Lee's time in that promotion is not the POC match, but it was actually in the same building on the United Philly show. And this is the moment where I had a total realization of just how talented Brody Lee was in 2011. Forget what he went on to do, but in 2011, there's a segment in the ring, and this is United Philly. So what happened the night before was Blood Warriors had just turned heel in Japan, but it was Shima, Indoi, and Ricochet, these guys that the American audience was still super into. So they hadn't really turned heel In America, yet. And then you also had this situation where Ronan, these, you know, Chuck Taylor, Johnny Gargano, Rich Swan were brought in as these hotshot young heels when they first debuted. But what happened the night before the Philadelphia show is that Rich Swann did his rapping entrance for the first time, and it totally turned Ronan babyface. And Gabe was not prepared for it. Ronan was not prepared for it. Nobody was prepared for it. That in one night, these young gun heels had become beloved babyfaces of the promotion. So what happens in Philly is that they're doing an in-ring segment where Shima is trying to let the crowd know essentially that blood warriors are now heels. He's doing everything he can uh, to not say we're heels now, please boo us. But because there's a bit of a language barrier, the crowd wasn't totally picking up on the situation. Something got lost in translation in Shima's promo. And he's in the ring with Doi and Ricochet, who, you know, obviously native speaker, but not a great promo. And then uh, the Ronin guys might have been in the ring at that point, but they're very young and and inexperienced at this point in their career. Something gets lost in translation, and you can almost hear a murmur in the crowd. Like, they don't entirely know how they're supposed to react. And then all of a sudden, Brody Lee takes the microphone, and he starts berating the Philly crowd. He, He starts berating Ronin. Everybody sucks but Blood Warriors. Shima's the king. All of you guys need to bow down to him, this and that and it works. It turns blood warriors heel. And it is a moment that I am going to assume was improvisation that Brody saw that this segment was dying and he figured out a way to fix it. And he, and he figured out a way to improvise in the moment and turn this segment around. And it ended up being a very memorable moment of drag USA for me. And it just, it really jumped out to me when I watched it for the first time, just how talented this guy was. So I hope that makes sense. I I know I monologued there for just a little bit, but that is essentially Brody Lee's career in Dragon Gate and Dragon Gate USA and and some of the best moments that he had.
2: Yeah, and it's something where I know we've talked a little bit privately, Case, about this, but you look at how he was booked and received and treated and the regard that the Dragon Gate roster has for Brody and it kind of crystallized that with the exception of the run he was on in AEW where everything came together it was uniquely to his skill set he just knocked it out of the park doing things that the promotion desperately needed the company that got him most of all and I feel like displayed with the exception of his promo skills which as you talked about it's Surprising, I feel like that most people don't realize how good of a promo Brody Lee was. And they didn't necessarily apply to Dragon Gate, but everything else, Dragon Gate understood Brody Lee as a wrestler and as a character, and they used him in such a way that no one's really ever been used since. There's really not been like this big uh invading gaijin that people weren't able to stop, especially when you consider Pac's a member of the family. So he doesn't count like this. I mean, you look at his entire career. And you look at his entire time in Dragon Gate, he's only he only really dropped two falls, and it were the two big matches he talked about, Mochizuki and Shingo. And it's a perfect use for him. He had he fit in so well with Blood Warriors and being like this threat, this unconquerable threat in the Blood Warriors Junction 3 feud, and he floats so well and he got like things such as you have these these matches where like I'm looking right now at his cage match and this happened on September twenty third, twenty eleven, where he had a three series match with Soccer Chikawa, which went eleven seconds, twenty seconds, and four minutes and forty three seconds. In case I know that I am probably the highest person amongst international fans in Soccer Chikawa, but what would I give to just get that ten minute uh, segment just on DVD or something like that? Because I imagine that that was just an absolute blast and. It's something that I'm glad that the pack match is going around, but I really encourage people who are interested in seeing this side of Brody Lee that not a lot of people either yeah. like forgot or that they were never aware of to, to go. And, and I know DGUSA stuff is hard to find right now. And I know especially Dragon Gate stuff of 2011 and 2010 is naturally hard to find, but go and watch it. Because he was someone that Dragon Gate got, and he was someone that got Dragon Gate. And for someone who had just... Well, it comes out to be 36 matches in the promotion across essentially a, a, 10 months. But it was something that... If you just see what the response was from people like Naruki Doi, like Masato... Uh, not Masato Yoshino does not believe in social media... Uh, but but naruki doi masaki mochizuki and others said like you like you mentioned he left a mark there and it's something where it was enough of a mark that that the dragon gate english account made sure to mention it because he he was part of the family and it's just something that it's just a real tragic situation and it's something though that i will at least cherish the uh cherish the library he left and be able to like do that and then just with all the thoughts and wishes towards everyone that his life touched.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know it, it, it's just an awful awful situation but to to Mike's point to to bring this back to a wrestling perspective just because other uh, other people will will be uh, far more apt to cover the emotional aspect of things, you know. Brody wrestled 20 matches in Dragon USA. And he was only pinned three times. He was pinned by Yamato in a non-title match. He was pinned in the Ronin elimination match where he blew out his knee. And he was pinned by Pac. And other than that, he either won the match or was in a multi-man match where he did not take the fall. And I think that is uh, just a small glimpse into how protected he was in America. And then it it doubled and went to when he was in Japan as well. So... Yeah, the loss is tragic, and it's just awful. It's an awful situation. Uh, the the positive to come out of this is so many people were given a chance to share these incredible Brody Lee stories because he was yeah, he's just seemed like an incredible person. So, yeah, we, we felt like we had to talk about it because he is ultimately a member of the Dragon system. And, and like I said, the outpouring of support from the Japanese wrestlers was something that... Uh, didn't catch me off guard, but just it hit me on another layer of an emotional level that I I wasn't necessarily anticipating. Because I, you know, thought, well, this guy did a tour a decade ago, you know, are they going to really care? But you know, from what we saw on social media, yes, they absolutely cared.
2: Yeah, and I haven't talked to anyone necessarily. It's just not the time to do that kind of stuff. But I would hazard a guess that he was someone that I think everyone in the roster, we know they they had such tremendous respect there. And it's something where you could tell that they cherished his time with them. And as we talked about, uh, he left a mark a, only across 36 matches. And that's something that we should all hope that in our lives, that if we do something that leaves an impact like that, that strongly. So,
1: Well yeah. said, Mike. <laughs>
2: well, uh,
0: Off again, that's arena club.com/slash VOW net, arena club.com/slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network.
2: We still have one more show to talk about this year, Case. They had their traditional end of the year fan appreciation show on the 27th. And- Kobe sambo hall this was the fantastic gate 2020 finale it will be up on the network i think i saw until the third math isn't my strong point but i believe it's the second or third so it'll still be up there by the time this episode comes out big attendance for them because i don't know if you caught this and or looking at the crowd you probably thought this seems like to be a lot more than they had usually in this in this era in uh sambo hall and that was the case 390 which is massively up from 226 uh earlier and just like uh we were talking a little bit before the before the uh we started recording it seems like that if you're someone who's getting into the promotion or someone that tracks the promotion these end of the year shows you might think it might be all fun and games but for at least the last few years we've had huge things happen last year it was initially where Masato Yoshino announced his impending retirement, and this year they ended the three-unit war.
1: Yeah, this is a show that has gone under the radar for a number of reasons, obviously some of them more uh, pressing with you know the Brody Lee situation and everything else, but this, in the context of Dragon Gate, was a huge show that had major storyline ramifications that because it happened after Final Gate on Kobe Sambo Hall, I, it only hit me this morning that, oh, right, we are done with generational warfare. Like the Dragon Gate generation is no more after this show. And it just, they just snuck this one in right before the end of the year.
2: Stuck this in right before their break into design new logos. Yes.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, right, look, I look, Dra- Dragon saying. Gate is a crafty promotion. Okay. They know what they're doing. They a well-oiled machine, Mike. I,
2: I mean, you know how quickly earlier this year they got out the, uh, Masato Yoshino Speedstar 2000-2020 t-shirts. Buddy, let me tell you, there are going to be some Natural Vibe t-shirts ready to go on January 9th.
1: And if I were a fan, I would maybe hold off on buying the Natural Vibes t-shirts. I-, I think we can speculate that maybe, if we don't know anything, this is pure booking speculation, maybe they're not going to be around too long.
2: I'll say this, before we get into the show itself, did not pass my smell test immediately something is up here.
1: Well, well, let's go top to bottom. Let's start Let's start with the main event and the news that came out of it, and let's talk about the Natural Vibes deal.
2: All right, so the main event was the rebooked match because Binke is currently on the shelf. I've not heard an update. I assume no news is good news, and if he's not announced for those first week of January cards in a few weeks, that's when I'll be like, Whoa, then this is a little bit worse than I expected. Didn't expect to hear anything, but... Ten-man tag team match. This was Dragon Gate Generation versus Masquerade. Full, full Masquerade team: Shoot Skywalker, Koda, Minora, Jason Lee, Dragon Daya, and La Estrella. They've got to kind of decide: if, is is it Esteya or Estrella? Because I've seen both now. I, I just need to know how to pronounce this correctly here. And they went against Dragon Gate Generation: Yamato, KZ, Kesuke Akuda, UT, and Yosuke Santa Maria, filling in for Binke. The fall was Skywalker on KZ with the SSW. After the loss of Masquerade, the Dragon Gate generation decided that they should go their separate ways. Uh, Yamato pointed out they have a lot of people on the shelf. They lost people to Masquerade. They're not really much of a unit at this point, and they decided that it's just a good time for all of us to go our separate ways, and that brought the three-way Generation war to a close. And they left KZ in the ring, who was quickly met by... Sasumi Yokosuka and Geeky Horiguchi, they agreed to reunite uh, Natural Vibes. They said they're going to be holding new auditions to decide new members and hope to have the act complete by the time they return to Sambo Hall in January. So, it's uh, that in the last 10 minutes of Dragon Gate, last show of the year, they just hit hit reset. And now we have uh, Masquerade Ascendant, and now we have to see where everyone from the Dragon Gate generation is going to go to.
1: Yeah, so the reason that I'm suspect to the Natural Vibes reunion, which as of this point, to reiterate, is KZ, Horaguchi and Susumu, there has never been a carbon copy unit reboot, to my knowledge. M2K went through Shin M2K and Final M2K and all of these other iterations. World 1 is pretty... Probably the closest, but even the original World One ended up becoming World One International, which had a totally different color palette than the original World one and then you have the veteran units, which I yeah they're they're marked as units, so I need to include them. but even those have always been differentiated. A little bit. It's always been uh, Team Veteran Returns, or, or whatever the prior incarnation was of that. They've always been branded a little bit differently, and by proxy, they've always had some different guys in the mix. Obviously, the angle that they're going for here is that if Natural Vibes were to continue, you would have some different guys in the mix. And there's plenty of free agents to choose from. Half the roster is without unit affiliation at this point, but... It appears to be the same natural vibes with the same colorway and the same unit and most of the same guys as there was before. And if KZ hadn't been dropping a ton of falls, if he hadn't lost to Ata, if there wasn't, at least on the Western front, a lot of murmuring as to what KZ's next move is... Maybe I would look the other way, but we're living in a reality where it seems like KZ is not long for a, a baby face destination. This is a guy that has been face since Dia Hearts in 2014 and 2015. He hasn't been heel since Shima Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi were not only in the promotion, but were some of the most pushed acts in the promotion. So... KZ is due for a change uh, for as much as I've been enjoying him if he changed up his character I would not mind it also just seems like that Ata might be on the chopping block with R.E.D. which could lead to KZ replacing him in that heel unit I would say we are probably getting a natural vibes dance with KZ attacking Susumu and Horiguchi during the dance maybe it's not on the January 9th show but it is happening sooner rather than later
2: yeah so it's not just that this is them uh doing a natural vibes thing it is natural vibes was five members you had brother yashi and punch tomonaga those two have never been really free full timers like tomonaga will have stretches where he's on every televised show but he's not someone who's being brought everywhere and yashi has kept his freelance affiliation and as we've seen through this year he is no longer in the booking plans. I think that's a fair fair way to put it Well, yeah, he's no, he's no longer on the situation. roster. I mean,
1: he was just taken off a few days ago. For, for a long time, Yashi was listed on the roster but hadn't worked since COVID hit, but now he's no longer on the roster page. So he's not a member of the company as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, and he never had a contract. So it's yes. just one of those things that it makes sense. It's a different situation than the whole Kanichiro Rai situation over the last decade. but So you have like the, th- the three full-timers there. And then you look about who's around. And if I'm going to take this at good faith that this will be a full-on reboot natural vibe so that, that the thing that I think is going to happen doesn't happen, there's a lot of pieces that you could probably arguably say fits. I think Dragon Kid makes more than enough sense with these with these three. Maria, there's your lost post right there. can even like hazard an idea why Kamei might join them. I could see that as well. But I do think we are in... A reality where I'm looking right now at the January schedule. Case they have Kyoto on the 9th. They have Edeon two on the tenth. They have Corkin on the twelfth and the thirteenth. And then they have seventeenth. They have Sambo Hall before taking a couple, t- taking a bit off before finishing up the mo- month at Fukuoka with a double shot. I'm just looking at the schedule and I can really see that something's going to happen. That first time they actually do the full dance, they say it's going to be at Kobe on the seventeenth. I think that we're going to see that because I think that now it's time to shake things out and see what the uh, whole unit landscape is going to be. And I personally don't think natural vibes will be a part of that unit landscape.
1: No, I, I really think that's a fair assessment and it, it's a loaded month. I mean, it, it's really gutsy to blow off the Drangate gate generation at Kobe Samba hall at the end of December on what is typically looked at as some sort of fan appreciation show. I mean, they could have, they could have just, Booked, you know, I guess Speed Muscle against you know Kazian Yamato or or whatever whatever match. They didn't have to do this here. They have two Cork and Hall shows next month. They very easily could have done the Masquerade versus Gate Generation if Gate Generation loses their disbanded match on one of the two Cork and Hall shows, and that would have been a suiting main event. But instead, they threw it onto this show, and now, you know, like I said over half of the roster is without a unit at this point, and they're going into an insane month with two Cork and Hall shows. So it's it's gutsy that they did this match here. I use the term gutsy. I think any other pro- promotion I would use the term dumb, but I trust Gate's booking that they'll be able to figure it out. But the natural vibes aspect of things, I would, I would be a little bit surprised if we're talking about KZ's natural vibes unit in February.
2: Right, yeah, and... It's, you have a lot of interesting pieces that are left out of this whole entire thing like Yamato I mean Ace of the Company now is without a unit for the time being Kesuke Akuda, Brave Gate Champion Benkei and Strong Machine J to heavily push commodities one would, would assume when they come back and then you got a, a bunch of a, a bunch of good pieces in Maria, UT, Problem Dragon can pick up Falls like there's a lot of things that build between them, the Torimon Generation members that are sticking around and it's gonna be an interesting next few weeks because i I would have to expect with like the schedule that we just went over January. February is pretty nuts as well because they because uh, Champion Gate will be in March this year, and you have a full run of things including a double shot in Kyoto. So they have a lot of things and they'll be moving to the Tokiwa arena because of availability for Sambo Hall. So it's a lot of stuff will be going on over the next few weeks or like the the first like first eight weeks of 2021 i i fully expect that we're gonna be walking into champion gate or at least the march cork and that's two days before champion gate with a full idea of where everything lays and this natural vibes thing i i, I don't want to harp on the point just does not uh something smells fishy there guys something smells real fishy and uh unless you have any other well
1: i think the the yeah the 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 Ultimate f- finality of natural vibes is up in question, but to transition to the main event, the Masquerade unit is rock solid right now, and I thought they were phenomenal without hyperbole. I thought they were phenomenal in the main event against the Dragon Generation.
2: Yeah, th- this really worked. I it seemed like that Dragon Daya got dinged up in this match and was pulled out, and like the last like four or five minutes was basically a four on five match, but it was basically Masquerade finding ways to murder people and. Boy, for as much apprehension as I have about them as a super face unit, especially charisma-wise, when the bell rings, these five guys rock. Like, like Estrella is showing new things each match. He still has some stuff to figure out, but you can see the promise in him as the Sugi high flyer that we talked about. And everyone else is just, like, a solid unit, like, to the point of, like, I know we talked about what they're going to do for Lost post, does not seem like they're going to be dropping very many falls for the near future so you might not have to worry about that until later this spring
1: there seems to be just a whole other layer of thought and care put in to masquerade that hasn't been there for a very long time you know over generation wasn't like this die hearts wasn't like this even you know natural Tribe. tribe vanguard's another one i mean natural vibes look they have the entrance which you know, look, do I love the natural vibes entrance? No, it's not my favorite thing. Do I think it detracts from Susumu Yokosuka's in-ring work? No, I don't. And I think those are weird parallels that some people draw there between an entrance... That's on them. Yeah, an entrance that is clearly over with the live crowd that is done in 30 seconds, and then, you know, Yokosuka and KZ, two of the best wrestlers in the world, they can get in the ring and tear it up with no dance moves whatsoever. So I don't... I don't understand why some people have trouble separating those two things. I think that's a really weird gripe to have within the unit. But I, I just understand. I would say that the issues with the
2: people there, that like trying to be a fun police for something that's not intended for them, that speaks more of the people who are offering the criticism than the unit itself. But just but even even
1: there. with natural vibes. Again, it's not like KZ is dancing through finishing stretches or that Yokosuka is this drastically different wrestler. It's a it's a unit that is made up entirely of an entrance. What I what I was intrigued by with Masquerade in this match was they have some full unit spots that are really, really cool and feel different and really feel closer to like an old school Torumon thing than a Dragon Geek Generation unit. The the spot where they hit the the four drop kicks at the same time—they all kind of shifted around the ring, and what I can, what I can only describe is like if a Colt hit a drop kick. This is what it would look like. I, I mean, I was really impressed with the multi-man stuff they did in this match. lastrea La you know, he took Silas Silas Young's finisher in this match. He did a PG Watch a plunge. He continues to do the Sugi drop kick. This dude has some spots that really, really deliver. And then you know, your middle of the unit, Minora dia Lee. Those are hard workers. Those are guys that throughout the next calendar year, I fully anticipate on kind of being the standouts on your Kobe Sambo Halls and your KBS Halls and your Osaka number 2s. I think those are the guys that are going to work hardest on those shows. And then Shun Skywalker, who his in-ring is not in question. I thought Skywalker and KZ were unbelievable in this match. Their, their chemistry down the finishing stretch was something to behold. I don't think many couples in wrestling have as good of chemistry as Skywalker and KZ do. I mean they are they really because we know about their their Kobe World twenty nineteen singles match, I think they are really on an elite level of chemistry between two wrestlers in the entire wrestling world. And I think that was on display. Gate, my promotion of the year, and of course they go out with a bang. The main event of their final show of twenty twenty, I went four stars on.
2: I went three and three quarters, but it definitely was something where it, I had the thought, but I know if I'm not certain, then it's not that. So I think that's totally, totally rational. Uh, other, like, fun things in this match, Yamato doing a Topic on Hello partway through the match. Just like, all right, Yamato, you dive sometimes, but actually, like, the way that he does, like, his Topic on Hello cracked me up when I was watching this. And it was uh, something where, like, you had Maria, who is really great at, like, the first half of a match being the person who takes all the offense and then Australia is starting to come along with his selling like this is the other great thing about this is that you have those four like known quantities so Australia like they could focus in on certain moments and protect the kid and i think that that was really brilliant and that's something that to really watch for in masquerade matches going forward is if we start seeing australia getting more and more time in these matches versus coming in for like the the sprint portions I think that that can really kind of give us a better summation of this guy as a wrestler and I'm excited to see it
1: I I think this is just a giant win all the way around again I think it's super weird they did this match on this show and not on a Cork and Hall show or even just on the 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 Osaka show on the 10th it's it's so weird that this match was on this show and even had it not been for the the obviously awful unforeseen circumstances with Brody Lee. I still think this match would have been buried in the news cycle regardless, which is weird because now, you know, we're done with generational warfare and Masquerade had another killer match to end the year. It's just a really, really strong way to close out the year.
2: Yeah, no, no, I'm totally with you on that. And then just working backwards, the semi-main was Doi Yoshi, uh, Masada Yoshino, and Naruki Doi Speed Muscle going up against SB Kento and Hip Hop Kakuda. It was a DQ uh, SB Kento was the one who's disqualified. Naruki Doi was the active participant in 11 minutes and 19 seconds, and this was a f- another like interesting match and shows the amount of faith and amount of trust that they're putting into two 20 year olds, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, one of those matches that I I kind of accepted for what it is. I was hoping because it was on this end of the year show that it was going to be something a little bit cleaner, something a little bit different. Clean, yeah. yeah. But the fact that it was speed muscle versus two 20 year olds is mind blowing.
2: Yeah. And I thought that the interesting thing about this match, I went three and a quarter on it is they pretty much compressed like a 17 to 19 minute match into like the first 10 minutes and then had the RED DQ. And I thought that I was like, Hey, th- th- this is a fan appreciation show. So they're not just going to have RED, just do RED shenanigans everywhere. They're going to make sure that it has like a solid match for the hometown fans. And I, and I really enjoyed that match for what it was but also knowing that there's if there's a clean match between these four that that's going to be on offer in the future I I hope we get that before uh Kobe World 2021.
1: I think that's a safe bet. I don't think this is the last time we're going to see this combination. At least at least I hope not because this was a, a small chapter in a larger story, but there is obviously From everything we've seen from Kakuta and and SB Kento, which we don't have to reiterate right now, it is very clear they can have a top-level match against Speed Muscle of all teams, one of the best tag teams of all time. I think they can handle it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The only other thing of note was that the R.E.D. beat down a Doi. They went after his arm that was bandaged up. He he has, like, a tricky elbow that he's gotten, like, pulled from shows, but nothing that's put him on the shelf. But they did, like, a full-on just destruction of that. Dragon Kid made the save and looks like that, that that he's trying to work his way into Team Boku. So that's something just to keep in mind as we go into 2021. Match 4 was a six-man tag team match. We had the three oldest, I believe, people on the roster in Ultimo Dragon, Masaki Mochizuki, and Super Shisa versus the RED team of Ada, BB Hulk, and Diamante. Ada decided to murder someone with an AARP card as he completely clock Super Shisa with an Imperial Uno in 12 minutes, 28 seconds to get the win.
1: Yeah. Shisa took an absolute beating in this match, which I wasn't really expecting him to. I kind of thought when this match was announced, which I, I was really into this Mochi Shisa Ultimo trio on paper. And, and after this match, I hope we continue to see more of them as a team, but I kind of just thought Shisa would come in there and do some tricked out grappling with Ata and then leave but instead, this dude at one point is about to hit the Yoshi Tannic on, on somebody. I believe it was Ata, And BB Hulk axe kicks him in the middle of that move, which was gnarly. Like that was a gross kick to the head. And then at the finish, like Mike said, uh, Shisa takes a low blow and then gets hit with the Imperial Uno super kick. And Shisa took a bump. Like, he got hit in the stomach with a cannonball, basically. Like, he flew back a quarter of the way across the ring on the super kick, and it was just tremendous. I mean, Super Shisa is so, so good. And I, I actually I will I will end this podcast uh, with a Super Shisa match recommendation of something I watched on the Drengate Network last night that I had never seen before, but I'll save that for the very end. But this match was a ton of fun. Ultimo and Diamante. Look, diamante we've talked about numerous times throughout the year that he earned his position in this company but whenever he's in the ring with altimo it really makes sense why he was brought in in the first place because he and Ultimo are awesome against one another and that was present here as well
2: yeah no this was just a really fun uh match four i went three and a quarter again on it it just was a good time and you guys see more she than i expected i like i i knew he'd probably roll back in and be the one taking the fall but in it I didn't expect him to be taking seven minutes of a twelve-minute match, you know. Well, like that was neat, though.
1: It was really fun. I, I hope we get more Mochizuki Ultimo Shisa trios matches because I there's a lot to like there.
2: Team 150, let's go. <laughs> Something that I think we might be playing out the string on case is the Royal Sanbo. Uh, I'm just going to run through the participants and the results before we talk about this as much time as it deserves. Uh, Don Fuji, Ginki Horiguchi, Yazushi Kanda Kanes, Konomao Ichikawa, Sachioko Boy, Problem Dragon, Takashi Yoshida, Kaido Ishida, and Daya Inferno. Ichikawa wins his second straight Royal Sambo in 13 minutes and 5 seconds, eliminating Don Fuji for the win. And they're going to have to do something about this because it seems like that Konomao Ichikawa is the god of the... Royal Sambo match. They have to shake this up. You can't let Stalker Ichikawa just completely run roughshod on what's supposed to be a new trademark match.
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. I think the first one was more fun than the second one. This one didn't quite have the luster that the original Battle Royal did, but you know, it's harmless. It's harmless Stalker Ichikawa fun. I can't complain about this, but by proxy, I also can't break this down too much.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I listed off the people in the match. If you're someone who's familiar with Dragon Gate, you'll know what you're, you're getting yourself into. If you're someone that's new, have fun watching Don Fuji versus Soccer Takao for the first time, because it is a it, it is a true delight. Although whenever those two get to have a chance, just to just yuck it up like a bunch of knuckleheads, and we got a whole bunch of this and this here. If this is, it seems like this is going to be the way they're going to try to get everyone on all these cards. That's fine. It, it feels a lot more done and fun than the old Dragon Rumbles. So I'm okay with that.
1: I would completely agree with that.
2: Then we got into match two. This was a tag match. Susumi Yakosa and Shuji Kondo versus Dragon Kid and Takedo Kame. Uh, Kondo, uh, he got his, his time teaming with Dragon Kid. He's done with that guy, though. And it was Yokosuka penning Kame with the Yokosuka counter 13 minutes and 36 seconds. Kame hasn't been someone that... that I guess he kind of just had like the last few weeks off, maybe, and he was more just doing ring crew stuff. But it was really great to see uh, old Toralcoon on the show.
1: I thought this match was awesome. I like this is yeah. this is one of those Sampo Hall matches that just it's it's a shame this happened here and not at Cork and Hall because Kamei rather is dishing it out on Shuji Kondo, and it is so much fun to watch. This is one of those matches that. If physical media was still relevant, and and Mike and I were running our tape trading business, which oh man, to be born 15 years earlier, so Mike and I would be slinging DVDs uh, out of our out of our open the voice gate uh, headquarters. This is one of those that you know we do a 10 disc best of 2020 Drangate DVD set. This is on disc 10, this is on the bonus disc, this is like, hey, this match wasn't four stars, but this match was a ton of fun, and it's one that made the promotion worth following throughout the year. This this is a recommended match, I really think if you're going to watch the show, watch the main event, watch the Mochizuki Shisa Ultimo Trios match, and watch this tag match with Kondo and Susumu versus DK and Kamei. I thought this match was awesome, I went three and a half stars.
2: I went three and three quarters. I adored this. Uh, Kamei, he makes the most of whatever opportunity you're going to give him because he had this. He had like the strike exchange with Kondo and Yakoska, where he was dishing it out against two of the more hard hitters on the roster, and and Sumbo Hall was getting into this. Like he has a certain ceiling, I'm afraid, just because of how he's sized and how they've treated him versus they treated. Kakuda and Kento but he was remarkable here. he had a, a great hot fire. Uh, you got some sushi Kondo and Dragon Kid that's always something fun to revisit and now that they're no longer teaming, I'm glad we get a dip back into that and you know Kame keeps on finding like these really interesting ping fall opportunities out of nowhere that they aren't really like flash pens. But there are like this thing that he's like, oh, I can't take these moves, or I'm done. So I'm going to try to find a way to get out of them that I find really, really fun. And it's it's one of those things that like it was like on the first Yokosuka counter counter that I was like, all right, Kame, I, I your offense and anything like this completely makes sense, and it was really enjoyable to catch this. Yeah, I, I would absolutely put this on our bonus disc of the ten uh, of the best of 2020 ten disc set coming for coming to you from the Open the Voice Gate Tape Trader Company that. I feel like if it was going to be equidistant for each of us, I think it would have to be in Knoxville, Tennessee, I think. I'm okay Knoxville. with that. I'll
1: make, I'll make the move. Let's, <laughs> that's, I, I'm looking to get out of uh, either a Chicago or an Indiana-type climate, and I believe Knoxville, while it does get cold there, offers a little bit of a different experience than I would welcome.
2: I, I, I You're going to have to get used to some humidity. I'll say that. Oh, brother, I, well, I,
1: I love the humidity. I don't mind. Indiana is plenty humid.
2: Yeah, that's fair. That, that 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 is fair. It's a different kind of humidity, and that's what it is. But also, I Knoxville. You know, I mean, you're still kind of in the crest of the mountains, so I'm happy with that as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the opener. I, I I had somewhere that I thought I was gonna leave it leave it on a real pithy comment, and you could tell that that was getting away from me there. Uh, opener: A six man tag team: Boku, Rio Saito, Bokutomo Dragon, Punch Tomonaga versus Red, Kai, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Hio. Uh, Bokunemoe got the win with the uh, Bokuno style La Maestra cradle in 11 minutes 30 seconds on Hyo. Pretty much exactly what you expected. You know, like I gave this three. That this was a Team Boku opener that just kind of just was a Team Boku opener.
1: I I will say this: it was probably the best trios match that Bukaltimo Dragon, Punch, Tamanaga, and Rio Saito are capable of having. This was this was a pretty good match without the Doi influence. And that is a big step for Team Boku. Yeah, because
2: I mean, it since Team Boku seems to be a thing going forward, as they flush out, they need to be able to rely on on the other members because Doi isn't going to be opening all these shows. <laughs> like like the like, like he might come out and do mic work with him, but he's not gonna be an opener on all these shows. So them kind of congealing into a perfectly complimentary fun opener, you know what I mean? That that's that's pretty much the best hopes of Team Boku, which is something that, you know, when, it, when they got announced, when we first started dealing with this. I would be like, I would be like, please give me this. Please make me sure this happens. And we got it.
1: Yeah. So, all in all, a fun Kobe Sambo Hall show, one with, I think, three matches worth going out of your way to see in the tag match that was Kondo and Yokosuka versus DK and Kamei. The trios match, was, which was Hulk, Diamante, and Eita against Mochizuki, Shisa, and Ultimo. And then your 10-man tag main event with Masquerade ending the Dragon, G- Dragon Gate generation. And I had that at four stars. So a very solid way to close out the year, Mike.
2: I would say, I would say, remember how much I used to dread Kobe-Semo Hall shows?
1: Yeah, and now, like, I mean, with the exception of some of the undercards in Hokkaido, because that was the weekend heading into my finals week at school, and it was there were too many shows, too much was happening. I watched every single match that made tape this year. I watched ninety eight percent of the Dragon Gate that aired. I really only missed a few a few matches on those on those Hokkaido shows. Everything else I watched, and uh, yeah, Kobe Sample Hall was consistently fun this year. I ended up really liking a lot of those shows. Yeah,
2: it, it's something where I had a couple things earlier in the year that I did not catch up on, mainly being a Fukuoka double shot early on in the year. I was like, oh, God, and I had other stuff going on so I didn't get to it. But watching everything this year, it's interesting how they've calibrated in 2020 and how, like, in the post-COVID era, there weren't very many shows that I would outright say skip. There was stuff that had a whole lot of fun, even if it wasn't, like, a big star rating thing. It was something that, like, most of these shows end up being two hours two hours 15 minutes six matches they could get in and out there'll be some storyline stuff and overall and we'll get more into it last next week on our best of episode 2020 i have to look at it for drangate given the hard difficulty mode that everyone's living in in 2020 i think that they overachieved in a lot of ways had to call it an unqualified success
1: yeah we'll get into that more next week as we go through our best ofs which will be a will be a fun show because i think there's a lot to celebrate this year i, I don't I don't look at 2020, I think, strictly because of the pandemic in the same light that I do 2005, 2011, or 2015, which I kind of hold as the gold standards of Dragon Gate, but this was an upper echelon year of the promotion, which is crazy to think because they had two normal months before things shut down. They wrestled two full months in, in an empty arena setting. And you've got a guy like Hip Hop Kakuta who has not wrestled in front of a non-COVID-restricted crowd yet. And yet I thought this was really one of the better years in the promotion's history. So we'll talk about that more next week. Mike, I've got a special match recommendation. Do you want to hear that before I go?
2: Absolutely. And I know it's a a super CESA match, so I doubly want to hear it. Well, what were you watching?
1: Well, I was going through some stuff last night because we were talking about Super Shisa and the greatest wrestler ever, Slack, a few days ago, a, a conversation that Mike is in that a number of other people are in. Uh, if you want to get involved, you can find it. I think that is probably the safest way to go about this Slack. But there, for <laughs> for, for a, as perhaps as much hubbub as there was about this Slack a few weeks ago, I would say the conversations have drifted back into the right direction, and I think it has been uh, – I, I had some fun – uh, this weekend talking about Manny Fernandez. Uh, I'm currently preparing some stuff on Roderick Strong. Believe it or not, that guy's a very good professional wrestler. There's there's a lot to like there. So if you want to find the greatest wrestler ever, Slack, dig around. I'm sure you can find it. But somebody was asking for Super Shisa match recommendations, and I threw the big ones out there. But I I kind of started going like, man, you know, like I, I Super Shisa. It for all intents and purposes is the William Regal. Of Dragon Gate, both in terms of the style he works, but just the fact that we know this guy is an amazing, amazing worker, but he doesn't really get the platform to show it off all that often. So I started looking through his title matches, which there's not that many of, but I, I started watching the title matches that I could find that he's been in, and then I started thinking about how my number one holy grail in Dragon Gate, a footage that I know exists but is not out there, is May 29th, 2016... Shingo Takagi versus Super Shisa, which happened in Hokkaido. It was on a King of Gate triple shot, and they aired that show on... uh, They aired on Infinity a clipped version of all three shows. They just cut out, you know, the nonsense and just aired King of Gate matches and then, like, one multi-man match. So we didn't get Shingo versus Shisa, which just devastated me because I want to see that match so badly. But I was looking on Cage Match and I realized that on May 20th, 2013, on Dragon Gate Prime Zone Volume 6, there is a Shingo Takagi versus Super Shisa match. So if you go to the Dragon Gate Network, which is very confusing, I will let you know now that if you scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, you will see something that says Dragon Gate Studio. And you are going to want to click on See More. From there, it's going to give you... Nine pages of Drag Eat Studio shows, go to page eight, and then scroll to the very bottom of that page, and that is what you want. You and it's in the thumbnail. You can see Shingo Takagi versus Super Shisa. This is an eight-minute match that is, you know, it's fine, but the closing stretch really does feel like Shingo versus Shisa the way it was meant to be done, and I just had a ton of fun watching this match.
2: Yeah, like Prime Zone is one of those weird things that like, has existed for so long, and that was like a time period where Prime Zone was really special. I- I'm going to make sure to get this in the show notes just so that I-, I-, I should have interrupted you partway through so you didn't have to give a long, drawn out explanation of where to find these matches. But it is something that whenever you go see Super Sesha in a singles match, and especially like in something like a Prime Zone, you know that it's something that they're going to try to do something interesting at the very least. I remember. Over the last few years, he had a match against Martin Kirby. That was a whole lot of fun. There was a match against UT, which I think I'm the highest person in the world about that match, but it rocked that much, and it's worth checking out. It's one of those things on the Gate Network that not a lot of people, I would wager, have gotten into, but it's worth checking out.
1: Yeah, I try when I have some some time on my hands to go back and check out some of the Prime Zone matches that I missed because I've really seen none of this stuff, but on Prime Zone Volume 6 it is the the last three matches on the show. Now, granted, if you've never seen Prime Zone, it's they're wrestling like a ten by ten ring in front of a standing room only audience. It's it's studio wrestling done Dragon Gate style. But the last three matches on the show: Dragon Kid and Ricochet versus KZ and Uha Nation, Shingo versus Shisa, and Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk versus Noruki Doi and Rich Swan. And all of those matches, are very fun.
2: Yeah, it's something that Prime Zone was, uh, just for people who are new, it was something that they kinda of launched like right when they when other people were starting to do things, they had like a service that just had prime zones and for a while they would have someone just do subtitles for it, but it was studio wrestling. It was basically Memphis style studio wrestling. It used to take place in the old sanctuary building in Kobe where they would have a ring and then they would have about a hundred staying room people only they since have since they've left sanctuary since the changeover, now they that those were the shows that were usually shot in the lapis hall it's, it's usually a good time and hey there is a uh, also on the same this same show case that you brought up here you have n- Mr. QQ Naoki Tanazaki Toyanaka Dolphin versus Super Shenlong 3
1: Yeah I, I mean look I've got a lot to say about Tanazaki he is someone who I've been revisiting a lot lately and I really miss his presence in Dragon Gate. I, I don't anticipate him coming back, but I really wish he would. And Super Shenlong 3, who I will unmask because it took me a second to realize who that was. You know, the, the current Shinobu. Uh, that is a match that I, I might have to rewind and give that a look too. That whole that whole show sounds like a lot of fun.
2: No, Super Shenlong 3 is Yosuke.
1: Oh, well, uh, on Cage Match, it links me to uh, Shinobu's page.
2: Well, they're well, they're liars. It's a uh, Yosuke san
1: That sounds equally as fun. I'm not going to complain about that.
2: Yeah, no, it was something because that was during Akatsuki. That's that's what but, I like, thought. I didn't was...
1: think Shinobu was uh was in the promotion at that point, but Cage Match typically never lies to me.
2: So the first Super Shenlong was Shinobu. The second one, well, there was someone else that was Shinobu for like a very brief, or it was Shenlong for a very brief period of time. But most of the time, it was uh shinobu number two of course is now monday dragon or monday ryu problem dragon just combined his names right there and then the last one was yosuke Maria's first gimmick after leaving uh rookie stage and akatsuki
1: and with that you have a full episode <laughs> of uh brodie lee's time in the dragon system kobe sambo hall on december 27th and the history of super shinlong
2: yeah there we go there we go but case okay, so unless you have anything else let's get out of here
1: i think that's it mike
2: all right. So you can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice You can follow Case at underscore in your case, and you can follow me at Fuchiheya. Thank you all for listening for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week talking about the best of 2020. Have a safe and fun New Year's. Take care, everyone.